welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Usamimi. Happy New Year, guys! Uh, well, it's January, so technically I can still say Happy New Year, right? <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in for my very first episode of the year, even though this is going to be a shorter episode. Uh, February's episode will be much longer, I promise, so no worries about that. This episode is going to be one of my review episodes. If you haven't been listening and this is your first review episode, uh, this is basically where I go back and watch something that I haven't seen in like 10 years, maybe even longer. And before I watch it, I write down uh, what I remember about it, how I felt about it, then I watch it, and then I write a review to compare to see if that movie or TV show or whatever lives up to my memories or if maybe my opinions changed or if I didn't quite remember it exactly. You know, since sometimes you see something when you're younger and then you get older and you go back and watch it, sometimes it's not as good or sometimes it's even better than you remember. So that's the premise of review episodes. And this time around, I will be reviewing the old 80s classic, The Sea Prince and the Fire Child. Now, the thing I remember the most about this movie was the vivid memories I have of renting this video from the video store way back at the tender age of five. I rented it a lot. I was instantly grabbed by the cover image of the videotape, and the title sounded so fantastical and mysterious to me. The Sea Prince and the Fire Child, like, what could that possibly be? I remember thinking that the animation was absolutely beautiful, like something out of a Disney movie. Looking back, it gave me that sort of impression that parts of Fantasia or Alice in Wonderland did. I remember a lot of colors and a lot of use of darker color palettes as well. From what I remember, the story was basically a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, or some, a similar sort of story, where one sort of fairy-like creature fell in love with another sort of fairy-like creature, and the fallout that it caused between their warring clans. But these things weren't all that important to me back then. I was much too busy just admiring the very colorful and lovingly hand-animated world within this story. As a child, this was the one thing that drew me to this movie, and why I had to rent it probably half a dozen times before my mother finally just copied the tape for me so I could just watch it whenever I wanted. I don't recall much anything else other than just the beautiful colors and the animation and that sort of thing. The overall aesthetic of the movie, I guess. So how did this movie hold up? Did it age well? Well, let's see. The basic plot of the movie revolves around the young Sirius, who is a sea prince, as the title suggests, and is sort of like a mermaid, but not really a mermaid because he has legs. This kind of confused me when I watched it though because his brother seems to have a fishtail like a merman, but he doesn't, so I don't know how that's really supposed to work. But anyway, Sirius eventually meets Malta, who is a 
fire child, just like the title suggests, who looks more traditionally like a typical fairy, complete with wings and very slender and feminine qualities to her. The two meet innocently enough, not realizing that the other is from their, you know, quote-unquote, enemy clans. And so, of course, they fall in love. The love story is kind of doomed. There's characters that intervene with their love, and ultimately, it doesn't really end well. After re-watching this movie, my childhood memories of the animation were pretty much dead on, I think. I remember back when Wikipedia was still a fairly new thing, I looked at the movie and was surprised to discover that this was yet another movie that Sanrio had produced. Uh, Sanrio being the company behind uh, Hello Kitty and all those similar sort of cutesy characters and the merchandise and sometimes cartoons that go along with it. But what some people don't realize is that Sanrio was also behind a lot of movies back in the 80s, uh, such as the Unico movies and The Ringing Bell, uh, not to mention some of the aforementioned Hello Kitty cartoons. I was pretty much right on about the plot. It really is sort of a Romeo and Juliet thing, but I forgot how much it also has in common with, say, the original Little Mermaid story. Not the Disney Little Mermaid, but the original Hans Christian Andersen story. So the plot is fairly predictable. But that doesn't mean that the movie is bad, of course. Anyone going into it thinking that it is going to be a happy ending sort of movie simply because it's a kid's movie shouldn't be fooled. Uh, it's very much akin to the original Romeo and Juliet or the original Little Mermaid rather than Disney's happy ending take on it. Which you don't see a lot in today's films for kids, and I get the feeling that this wouldn't be a movie that you'd see on TV or cable nowadays, which is funny because a lot of people my age do remember seeing this on uh, uh, cable TV, I believe, that uh, HBO or some similar cable station back in the 80s or early 90s played this a couple times. So the ones that didn't rent it on video like me saw it this way. Uh, since I grew up with the English dub of the film, that's what I rewatched, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear that the dub actually wasn't too bad. I had braced myself for, you know, having to sit through a really terrible dub, but it was actually pretty on par with what I would expect for a children's movie. I mean, sure, there was some lines that had like flat delivery and stuff like that, but this was still leaps and bounds better than some of the other 80s anime dubbed for kids sort of movies that I remember seeing. So we can at least be thankful for that. It wasn't overly silly or over the top or painful to watch, which is definitely a plus for me. I was a little surprised that uh, just how quickly the tone of the movie changes from scene to scene. Some scenes are very lighthearted and playful, typical children's movie fare, but like when the movie first starts, it starts out sort of in a serious tone and it sort of bounces back and forth between overly dramatic to playful and silly and childish again to very romantic and then back to dramatic and then back to overly silly again. The movie keeps this up until about halfway through, where it stays fairly dramatic and serious right up until the very end where, like I said before, it kind of ends on a sort of depressing and, for some people who watched this as a kid, very emotional ending. 
The movie starts out mostly in the realm of the Sea Prince and his underwater kingdom with, you know, his father, you know, the king of the oceans and the seas and his little family. And like I said, it's very reminiscent of uh, the different incarnations of The Little Mermaid as well as maybe even Disney's because it includes a lot of goofy things such as underwater versions of land animals. I managed to spot uh, such things as underwater bunnies underwater bats, and underwater chickens. There were even underwater ghosts at one point. And if that wasn't ridiculous enough for you, there is a scene where Malta, the main female lead, uh, was trapped in a jail cell, and how was she rescued? A diversion created with a bunch of dancing fairy types. How this worked, I'm still not really sure. The fairies just sort of appeared and started dancing in a can-can line, and then by the next scene, Malta is freed from her cell. I know this is a kid's movie, but come on, there has to be some kids out there who watched this and thought, without a doubt, that that was total bullshit. <laughs> because really, it was. I mean, did the writers think that kids would just be appeased by that? Or did they just run out of ideas and throw that in there to save some time? I really wish I knew. I wish there was some sort of director commentary on this because I would love to hear a legitimate explanation for that one scene because it is pretty ridiculous even for a kid's movie. And to keep going into that vein, some of the things I didn't quite like about uh, re-watching this. Something that I never noticed when I first watched the movie as a kid was that there were plenty of scenes in the movie where characters are talking, but their mouths aren't necessarily moving along with the speech. And at first I thought that was a product of the dub. I was like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense because even back in the 80s, it was really hard to match uh, lip flaps and all that stuff and still get the story across. So sometimes sacrifices had to be made and they probably didn't think that children would notice or care because obviously, like I said, I didn't notice this when I was a kid, but it seemed very glaringly obvious to me while I rewatched it. However, when I switched over to the Japanese version in a couple spots to see if that was an issue uh, just in the English version, I was surprised that in the Japanese version, that was also an issue. There are plenty of scenes where characters' mouths are just sort of hanging open and they're talking in the Japanese version as well. So it wasn't limited to just the English dub. This was actually an issue with the movie either way. So either way that you watch this, that's going to be a thing. And if that's something that might bother you, uh, I just wanted to put that out there because it did kind of throw me off at first. I thought it was, you know, a product of a really poorly done dub, but in actuality, it was just something that the movie had regardless of whether it was in English or not, which was kind of odd. It kind of threw me off. Uh, usually, you know, the, the Japanese versions of movies like this aren't really like that, but uh, I don't know if it was an issue with uh, the animation budget. I don't know if it was just animators being lazy or if that was just 
some sort of uh, stylistic choice. But uh, either way, it is kind of odd, and it's not something that you see very often. So I wanted to make a note of that. Um, there's also one or two parts of the film that gets a little jumpy, uh, as well as some dark corner spots here and there. But, you know, those are pretty normal for an older movie. A casual watcher probably wouldn't even notice these things, but if you watch things very closely and critically, uh, it might stand out to you as well. So just throwing that out there. The picture on the DVD release is actually a huge step up from the VHS, but I wouldn't call it high definition quality. I looked it up and there actually is a Japanese Blu-ray of the film, but it just came out at the end of last year. And this DVD for The Sea Prince and the Fire Child came out in 2010. So this Blu-ray wasn't available to work off of at the time. Since Discotech Media released this movie as well as the Unico films, and they just re-released Unico on Blu-ray, I'm curious to see if whether or not they'll do a Blu-ray re-release for this one, but I guess it really is all dependent on if they think that this will sell or not. As for the DVD, it says 30th Anniversary Edition on the front cover, so I was hoping for at least a few extras on it, but sadly there really isn't much at all. I mean, we have the option for hearing the original Japanese version, which is great because up until this point, that was an import-only thing, so the only way you could see the Japanese version is if you found a bootleg or you actually imported the Japanese version yourself or some kind soul was nice enough to upload it on the internet for you. But other than that, yeah, there's a theatrical trailer for the movie on there, and then there's some trailers for more movies from Discotech, and that's about it. I know this very well could be because there weren't any extras to get for this movie, since it might not be as popular as, say, Unico or Sanrio's other titles, so Discotech might not have had much to work with in its entirety. Uh, it might be understandable to me because I'm knowledgeable of these things, but there are probably quite a few people who saw this as a kid, then saw that it was out on DVD and bought it, who aren't necessarily anime fans and don't really know how these kinds of things work, so they might have been really disappointed that they bought this thinking it was going to be really special and really in-depth and a really cool like anniversary edition packed with extras when it's only really just the movie and a bare-bones release. But, you know, this movie was out of print for so long that I feel like we're pretty lucky to get it at all. So I guess beggars can't be choosers entirely. I mean, yeah, I'm critical about this kind of stuff, but at the same time, I am just really glad that there is an official DVD that you can buy now instead of buying those really terrible bootlegs that you see floating around at conventions or on the internet or eBay or something. So, all in all, did I remember this movie correctly? Pretty much. Did I still enjoy it? Most definitely. The nostalgia factor was super high for me and it brought back all those awesome VHS and video store memories that came along with it. I mean, I know a lot of people rag on VHS and video stores, but those really hold a dear spot in my heart for me because I kind of grew up with that sort of thing. 
Uh, would I recommend this movie to people? I definitely would. If you saw it as a kid, then like I said, the high nostalgia factor alone is definitely worth the purchase. I'd even recommend this to fans who never saw it, especially those who have a fondness for movies like Unico, Fantasia, The Last Unicorn, and the many different animated versions of The Little Mermaid. I'd say that visually, the movies held up pretty well. While it uses an animation style sort of reminiscent of, say, Tezuka's works, like Unico, the style also invokes like older Disney pieces, like I mentioned before. Newer anime fans who are only used to newer styles might find the movie a little dated looking, but even for a film where the characters are drawn with very little and sparse, uh, simple line work, you can tell a lot of work went into animating it. Even without a lot of detail in the characters' faces, costumes, bodies, whatever, they're still able to convey like a fantastic array of expressions and emotions. The vivid color work and the dreamy fantasy backgrounds and settings are all really well done and fun to look at. So admiring the handiwork of this traditionally animated film is probably half the fun of watching it. If you're not really into that sort of thing, or if simple classical styles really aren't to your taste, the movie might not be for you, but if Unico and those aforementioned movies are all like favorites of yours, and all of this sounds pretty great, then this is definitely something that would be right up your alley. Some fun facts about The Sea Prince and the Fire Child. Originally in Japan, the movie is called The Legend of Sirius. The dub voice of Sirius was done by Tony Oliver, who you might also remember as Rick Hunter in Robotech, Bat in the Fist of the North Star movie, Lupin in Pioneer slash Genion's dub of some of the Lupin the Third TV show, as well as The Mystery of Mamo, and he did some voices in the English version of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He actually still does voice acting to this day, including video games and a lot of the newer anime dubs. Similarly, the original Japanese voice of Sirius was done by Toru Furuya. Ugh, I hate saying that name. It's so hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Toru. But you might remember him as Amuro from Gundam, Kyosuke Kazuga from Kimagure Orange Road, and Tuxedo Mask from Sailor Moon. So it's kind of cool that both voice actors who worked on the same role are fairly well-known voice actors in each of their respected countries. I was hoping to figure out if any of the other original English dub actors went on to do anything interesting or worthwhile later in their careers, like after this movie, but strangely enough, there are no credits for the English dub cast in the movie. Uh, even when you look on the internet, there's still no complete cast listing anywhere. So it seems like some of these actors will be forever uncredited for their work. Uh, the full cast listing sort of lost to the ages. Uh, which is kind of a shame because like I said, the dub was, you know, definitely not all bad. I mean, especially for its time. Uh, I guess it's easy for some people to at least pick out Tony Oliver's voice in the movie since, you know, Robotech is obviously a pretty popular thing. But other than that, I really couldn't find any information on any of the other cast of characters, main or otherwise. The music for the film was composed by Koichi Sugiyama, who not only did the music for many of the Dragon Quest video games and animated incarnations, 
but he also did the original Gatchaman movie soundtrack, the 1979 Cyborg 009 TV series and movie, both uh, Ideon films, as well as both Magic Knight Ray Earth TV shows. The director, Masami Hara, has also directed many of the Hello Kitty films, the original Unico short, and the movie Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. I indirectly already mentioned that the movie is currently in print on DVD thanks to Discotech Media. The DVD is relatively easy to find. You might even be able to find it in some stores, but if not, it's pretty easy to find online. You can get it on Discotech's official web store, Amazon, or places like The Right Stuff International. And it'll usually cost you between $10 to $15, depending on where you're buying it and what kind of sales they're having at the time. Since my review for The Sea Prince and The Fire Child was kind of short, I thought I would add a bonus mini-review on the documentary Rewind This. Now, you might be wondering, hey, what does a documentary have to do with older anime? Well, Rewind This is a documentary all about the rise and fall of the VHS format and the video store boom, so I thought this would be the perfect tie-in for a movie review of a title that I held so dearly as one of my very favorite VHS rentals as a child. And that's not the only thing. This documentary not only has interviews with VHS experts and collectors, but there's also interviews with anime director Mamoru Oshii, who I've definitely talked about on this podcast before, um, as well as in posts on the Tumblr blog and stuff like that. Oshi talks about how movies on VHS influenced him as a director, as well as how the VHS format affected how he worked and released his titles. That in itself, I think, is a good enough reason for anime fans to, you know, give this documentary a chance. I think anime fans, or just, you know, movie fans in general, who grew up in the age of VHS and video stores, will find this documentary pretty interesting. As someone who spent a lot of time in video stores growing up, i.e. me, I thought uh, I was pretty knowledgeable about, you know, the history of VHS and stuff like that. But there were things that I even learned in this documentary that I seriously had no idea about before I watched it. It also touches on stuff like uh, tape trading, uh, mail order, bootlegging, all of which I know these are things that us older anime fans have plenty of experience with. So I think it's not too much of a stretch that anime fans who grew up in my era of uh, VHS tapes and video stores and stuff, you know, I don't think it's that much of a stretch that you would also be interested in something that talks about VHS as a format. I'd also recommend this to listeners who might not have grown up in the VHS era and don't really know what it's like to live in a time before DVDs or YouTube or instant streaming or things like that. There really is a little bit of something for everybody in this documentary, so I definitely recommend checking it out. And you can pretty easily, too. Uh, I'd been following this documentary since they started talking about it on the internet and on Twitter and stuff like that, 
So I was really excited to hear that the documentary, now that it's been out for like a little while, uh, they now have it streaming on Hulu Plus. You can stream it to your devices and your TV or your phone or whatever. You can also check out their website at rewindthismovie.com. They have a Twitter that's at rewindthismovie. And they also have a blog, I believe, that's connected to their website. It's also available for purchase on iTunes uh, as well as their website and is available in several different languages to boot, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, I will warn you that they do definitely talk about the porn industry on VHS uh, because that's kind of important to, you know, VHS's history, of course. And there are a few clips in there, uh, but it's definitely not something lengthy or super hardcore. Uh, I think some of it's even pixelated out. Uh, but those are things that, you know, if you're sensitive to that kind of stuff, I wanted to make sure you got a little warning since the documentary itself is unrated. Um, for those of you who still collect and enjoy VHS tapes, you can even purchase this documentary on VHS history on VHS in a special bundle. Uh, I think it's available on their website and on Amazon, which I thought was kind of neat. If you are that hardcore of a VHS collector, you can get a VHS documentary on VHS. I thought that was worth mentioning, and if that sounds like something cool to you, I definitely recommend checking it out. So, I guess that's all for this episode, guys. Uh, I just wanted to take a second to note that, in case you missed it on the blog or the Tumblr, that Anime Nostalgia is now on iTunes! Yay! I know that since day one, I've been getting requests for an iTunes stream so that you could uh, subscribe to it. So if you are someone who likes to subscribe to things on iTunes, that is now something you can do with this podcast. I also finally got around to setting up an email specifically for this podcast. I know that that took long enough, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> But now, if you want to email me directly instead of messaging me or leaving comments, you can email inquiries, questions, suggestions for the podcast or whatever at nostalgia, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you again soon. <laughs>